ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. We invite you to take your Bible, turn with us to Mark chapter 10, verses 23 through 31, as we look at the truth about riches, redemption, and rewards. The truth about riches, redemption, and rewards. Mark chapter 10 and verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. In verses 17 through 22, a very wealthy man has just turned his back on the Lord Jesus and he's walking away. Verse 21, Jesus told this man how he could be saved. He was to sell everything he possessed and he was to give everything away to the poor. This act would give him real treasure in heaven. By giving away all that he had, this man would be accomplishing three things. First, he would be getting rid of his real God, his wealth. He would be helping those around him who were in great financial need. And he would be storing up true wealth in heaven where it would never be lost, it would never be stolen, and it would never be ruined. Then Jesus told the man to take up his cross and follow him. And this is a call for this young man to make a public 
once for all commitment to die to self and to live for Jesus. When this young man hears the words of the Lord Jesus, he turns around and he walks away. He chose his wealth over salvation. He chose his way over God's way. He chose eternal death over eternal life. He chose the world over the kingdom of God. In essence, he chose hell over heaven. The disciples were probably excited about the prospect of that fellow joining their number. They imagined all that he could do with his wealth, his power, his position. A lot of folks in our churches are that way. When a wealthy, powerful individual comes in, they'll be courted because of what they can contribute financially to the ministry. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, James warns against that kind of mentality in the church. Now, Jesus had somewhat of a different approach. Jesus was not impressed by this young man's portfolio. He was not impressed by his position in the synagogue, nor by his prominence in the community. No, Jesus saw the man as he really was. He saw him as a poor, lost sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus offered the man everlasting life. But that man chose eternal damnation, and he walked away from the Lord Jesus. When he leaves, Jesus uses this moment to teach his disciples about the danger of riches in this world. And he teaches them a few truths that all generations would do well to take to heart today. First, in verses 23 through 25, he teaches them about the truth about riches. Verse 23, as the young ruler, the rich young ruler walks away, Jesus looks around at his men. He makes an astonishing statement. He says that people who possess the riches of this world will have great difficulty entering the kingdom of heaven. Now, the problem is not with a person having money. The problem is when the money has control over the person. The rich young ruler was wealthy, but he did not possess his riches. His riches possessed him. This is always a recipe for spiritual disaster. In verse 24 we have an amazement. In fact, the word astonished here has the idea of amazement or fright. What these men heard literally blew their minds. It blew them out of the water. These men were from a culture that saw financial prosperity as the blessing of God on a life. The Jews had God's promise of prosperity and health. We see that in Deuteronomy 28, verses 11 through 14. The Jews were taught that riches and prosperity were from the Lord. We see that in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 12. And most Jews believed and still believe that health and wealth and prosperity were the blessing of the Lord on a life. Now, these men had the example of rich Abraham, David, Job and Solomon. All of their religious heroes had been very wealthy men. It's no wonder they are amazed. 
Some of the old reformers equated wealth with the blessing of the Lord as well. Many in our day hold the same mindset. Consider the claims of the health and wealth and prosperity movement. These preachers tell us that when we're right with God, we're going to have plenty of money. We're going to have perfect health. And anything less than that standard proves that you're just simply not right with God. Some people around us, some people under the sound of my voice, you are thinking the same thing in the same way. And when you have plenty, you say, the Lord sure has blessed me. And when you go through a difficult time, you must say, I wonder what I did to make the Lord chasten me. When you think about what Jesus said, it's really an astonishing statement. In verses 24 and 25, we have an analogy. Jesus senses their amazement, and he clarifies what he means. Notice how he says the same thing in a very tender and clear manner. First, he calls his men children. This is not a derogatory statement or anything of the sort. This is a term, of, a term of endearment. Then he tells them that people who trust in riches will find salvation impossible. It would be like trying to stuff a camel through the eye of a sewing needle. This is hyperbole. It's an exaggeration that's used to emphasize a truth. Jesus is referring to a literal camel and a literal needle. Some people have tried to soften the Lord's words by making them refer to a small opening in a wall of the city that was about four foot high by three foot wide or whatever. After the gates of the city had been closed for the night, this tiny door was the only way in and out of Jerusalem unto morning. And for a camel to enter this gate, it would have to be all of its burdens removed. It would have to be uh, to bow and it would have to wiggle its way through this gate. Uh, there's no such historical evidence of such a gate. I believe Jesus said exactly what he meant. If a person trusts in their riches, they will not go to heaven. And that was the rich young ruler's problem. His wealth was his God. His wealth was the focus of his faith. His wealth was his reason for living, and he refused to let it go. And in our world, riches are viewed as a blessing. From God's perspective, riches are a handicap. Why? Often, those who possess much of this world's wealth come to trust in that wealth. They come to believe that their money can buy them anything, and they surround themselves with people who will not tell them no. Often they come to believe that their money can shield them from any problem, save them from any danger, and even provide them with peace, joy, and happiness. What they fail to see is their money becomes an object of worship. Every waking moment is spent thinking about their wealth. How will I spend it? How will I protect it? 
How will I not have to pay so many taxes on it? How shall, how shall I increase it? What can this money do for me? And people who seek salvation in their, in their own resources will be disappointed at the end of life's road. They'll find that their money, their fame, their power, their position cannot provide them with the one thing that they need above all other things, and that's salvation of their soul. No one who trusts in money, fame, position, or power will be saved. The only people who will ever leave this world saved and ready for heaven are those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. He is the only path of salvation. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must. Be saved. He is the path to the Father. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The key word here is trust. There's nothing wrong with having money, nothing wrong with having possessions, not anything wrong with having power and influence. It is when these things become the object of our desire and worship that they become our God. It is when we trust things instead of Jesus that we condemn our souls to hell. Where is your trust today? This passage ought to speak to our hearts today. We look around today and we say, well, preacher, there are no rich people here. There may be a few who are affluent, but most are just getting by. What does this passage have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. I realize you may not be a millionaire. You may not have a million or two million dollars in the bank. That's not the point. But I submit to you that we are rich. We're rich, and here's why I say that. 56% of the world's population, or in a real number, that's 3.5 billion people, live in extreme poverty. They survive on an income of less than $730 a year or $2 a day. Half of that number lives, or you can say 1.75 billion people, live on less than $1 per day. At minimum wage, the average American worker earns over 50 times more than that. We are rich. The average American spends 20 cents per day on perfume, cosmetics, skin, and hair products, over 50 cents a day on jewelry, nearly $3 a day on household goods or furniture, over $3 per day on clothing, $6 a day on gambling, $7 a day on automobiles, and over $9 a day on food. We are rich. God's been good to us. Over 4 billion people got up this morning not knowing where their next meal was coming from. Many do not have adequate clothing and shelter, yet most of us got up today with a great home, plenty of clothing, 
money in our pocket, food to keep us alive for many days. We are rich. If you compare yourself to some people, you know you may not think that you're rich, but in fact, you are rich. Our financial problems like our debts and our payments would be welcome luxury to, to those in the world's population. One of the most major problems with wealth is that wealth can cause us to trust the wrong things in life. Riches can become an idol in your life. Anything you ascribe worship, what you deem worthy of your time. In fact, that's the meaning of the word worship, worth-ship. Your God is anything you give your worship to. Riches can tempt people to hoard away what they have. There can be a strong temptation to think that what you've been given is to be used to gain even more. Riches can bring a false trust. You might think that your money can buy you anything, even salvation. It cannot. Riches can bind us too tightly to this earth. Having too much of the world's wealth can cause all of our attention and affections to be focused in this world to the exclusion of heaven. And riches often lead to many other sins. Sometimes people with wealth come to think that there are no boundaries in their life. They often begin to live in such a way that there's no, they're, they're not pleasing to the Lord. Sins like pride and arrogance and insensitivity, self-satisfaction, worldliness, feed on affluence. Riches can destroy the qualities that are necessary for a person to, be, to enter heaven. Childlikeness and teachability can suffer in the face of affluence. According to Jesus, the rich are not privileged. They are actually underprivileged. Secondly, he teaches them about the truth about redemption, verses 26 and 27. These men heard that Jesus and what he had said, and they understood it perfectly. If you're rich in this world's goods and put your faith in the things that you have, you will not be saved and you will not go to heaven. And when you hear this, they, they were astonished uh, out of measure. It literally blew their minds. He, they, they hear these words and they just stand there with their mouths hanging open and their chins lying on their chest. They're dumbfounded by what they've heard their teacher, their Bible teacher, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory say. And their response is to ask, who then can be saved? They considered the situation. They realized that in a sense, we're all rich. We all have possessions of some degree. They understand that anybody can become caught up in looking at what they possess rather than relying on the Lord in simple faith. Jesus lets them know in verse 27 that there is hope. He tells them that men may find it impossible to break hold of their things, but that God in his power is well able to set them free. If that rich young ruler would have obeyed the, the clear call of the Lord Jesus Christ, God would have given him grace to relinquish his own wealth. My friend, we have the same promise. There's no way that you and I can turn our attention from this world without the Lord's help. And that help comes with his call to come to Christ. 
And when he reaches out to a lost sinner, the Lord calls that person to come to him, John 6, 44. When that person responds, God gives them the faith that they need to believe on Jesus Christ alone for their soul's salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God is able to help anyone break the grip of whatever it may be that holds them captive. He can break the grip of riches. He can break the grip of drugs and alcohol. He can break the grip of physical addiction. If you'll come to Christ, you'll find that he has the power to set you free. God can bring redemption to anyone regardless of who they are, how they've lived, or what they have done. Now, in verses 28 through 31, he gives them the truth about rewards. Verse 28, when Peter hears this, he speaks up. He reminds Jesus that they had walked away from everything to follow him, and these men had turned loose of all of their earthly responsibilities to follow Christ. They'd given up money, homes, family, businesses, all because Jesus had asked them to. In Matthew's account of these events, he tells us that Peter says, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall, have, uh, shall we have therefore in Matthew 19 and verse 27? In other words, Paul, uh, Peter's saying, Lord, you're saying that if a man gives up his money and follows you, he can have everlasting life. Uh, we've given up everything to follow you. What's our reward? He's asking, what's in it for us? You know, a lot of people have the same attitude about serving the Lord. They see the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer, and they wonder what good it does for a person to follow Christ. Jesus is about to tell us that those who follow him have a definite advantage both here and in the hereafter. You might feel like that you've been getting the short end of the stick. Listen up, my friend. The Lord has a word for, of encouragement for everyone who has ever chosen Jesus over wealth, trinket, and the things of this world. Verses 29 and 30, he gives a calming word. Jesus responds by letting Peter know that God sees, God records, and God rewards every sacrifice that's made for him. He tells them that what they have walked away from might seem like a lot to them, but God has far more in their future than they ever left behind in their past. They left one house. God knows how to open a hundred doors. They left one family. God has made them a part of a family that encompasses the world. They may have become separated from an earthly brother, but God has given them more brothers in Christ than they can ever imagine. Those who willingly turn loose of this world to follow Christ will discover that God has far more in store for them than the sum total of all that they left behind. When Jesus speaks of a hundredfold, he simply means that it's more than you and I can imagine. He's not saying that if you give a dollar, he'll give you a hundred in return. He might, but he might give you a thousand. He's simply telling us that he has far more for us than anything we could ever give up to follow him. To put it simply, to put it in simple terms, you never can outgive God. God doesn't always pay off on Fridays, but he always pays off and he always pays very well. 
And if you serve Jesus, he will see to it that you're blessed beyond your wildest dreams. He also lets us know that his hundredfold will come to us with persecutions. There will be a price to pay for following Jesus. Not everyone will be excited to see you serving the Lord. Difficulties and trials will come because of your commitment. The scripture tells us this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. But God will bless you in spite of any trials you might face for his namesake. And then Jesus ices the cake. He tells us that those who turn loose of this world to follow him will be blessed in the, this life, but they will also receive eternal life. So Jesus tells us not to worry about this world and anything that it has to offer. It simply cannot compare to what the Lord has for those who trust him. Money cannot buy everything. Money can buy a lot of things, but there's some things money cannot buy. Money can buy bed, but it cannot buy sleep. Money can buy books, but it cannot buy brains. Money can buy food, but not an appetite. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Amusement, but not happiness. Money can buy finery, but not beauty. Money can buy a crucifix, but money cannot buy a savior. Do you have what matters most? Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? In the end, it will not matter how much money you've accumulated or what you leave behind. All that will matter is Jesus Christ and if you know him or not. Verse 31, you have a clear warning. Those who are first in this world's accounting will finish last in the race to heaven. We see the celebrities and the wealthy people, and there's a tendency for us to think that they're, they're somebody. But in God's eyes, it's not riches that makes a person some, someone special. It's faith in Jesus Christ. There are billionaires and millionaires who do not even make a blip on God's radar, but they are poor, faithful saints of God who have his constant attention. And one day when we get home, all those who reach for first place here will not even cross the finish line there. And at the same time, those who faithfully live for the Lord here will be rewarded there. I once saw a bumper sticker that said, He that has the most toys wins. That's not even close to truth. That's just plain stupidity. Here's the truth. He that has Jesus wins, and he that does not have Christ has nothing, even though he may own everything. Anything but Jesus will ultimately fail. If you're not saved, come to Christ now. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org. And let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.